Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Question 67. Define the characteristics and duration of the normal stages of labor. The first stage is the onset of true labor to full cervical dilation. In a nullagravita, it typically takes less than 20 hours, and in a multigravita, less than 14 hours. The latent phase is from 0 to 6 centimeters dilation and is slow and irregular. In a nullagravita, it's highly variable, and it's also highly variable in a multigravita. The active phase is from 6 centimeters to full dilation. This is rapid and regular. In Anola Gravita, it takes place at a rate of greater than 1 centimeters per hour dilation, and in a multigravita, greater than 1.2 centimeters per hour dilation. The second stage of labor is from full dilation to the birth of the baby. In Anola Gravita, this is 30 minutes to 4 hours. In a multigravita, 5 to 30 minutes. The third stage of labor is the delivery of the baby to delivery of the placenta. In a nullagravita and multigravita, this is typically 0 to 30 minutes. The fourth stage of labor is placental delivery to maternal stabilization, and it can be up to 48 hours in both a nullagravita and a multigravita. Question 68. Distinguish between a protraction disorder and an arrest disorder. What should you do when either occurs? A protraction disorder occurs once true labor has begun if the mother takes longer than the previous chart indicates, but labor nonetheless is progressing slowly. Most practitioners are becoming more relaxed about following normal labor curves, as labor course can be highly variable. An arrest disorder, or failure to progress, occurs once true labor has begun if no change in dilation is seen over two hours despite adequate contractions measured with an intrauterine pressure catheter, or if there's no change in descent over one hour. In either situation, first rule out an abnormal lie or presentation and cephalopelvic disproportion. If neither is present, the mother can be treated with labor augmentation, such as oxytocin or prostaglandin. If these steps fail, manage expectantly and do a cesarean section at the first sign of trouble. Question 69. 
What is the most common cause of protraction or arrest disorder? Cephalopelvic disproportion, defined as the disparity between the size of the infant's head and the mother's pelvis. Labor augmentation is contraindicated in this setting. Question 70. Distinguish between true labor and false labor. In true labor, normal contractions occur at least every three minutes, are fairly regular, and are associated with cervical changes, effacement, and dilation. In false labor, or Braxton-Hicks contractions, contractions are irregular and no cervical changes occur. Question 71. What problems may be encountered when oxytocin is used to augment labor? On step two, watch for uterine hyperstimulation, which is painful, overly frequent, and poorly coordinated uterine contractions. And also watch for uterine rupture, fetal heart rate decelerations, and water intoxication and hyponatremia due to the antidiuretic hormone effect of oxytocin. Treat all of these complications first by discontinuing the oxytocin infusion. The half-life is less than 10 minutes. Question 72. What problems are associated with the use of intravaginal prostaglandin and amniotomy? Prostaglandin E2, or dinoprostone, or mesoprostol may be used locally to induce the cervix, a process sometimes called ripening, and is highly effective in combination with or before oxytocin. It may also cause uterine hyperstimulation. Amniotomy, creating a manual opening in the amniotic membrane, also hastens labor but exposes the fetus and uterine cavity to possible infection if labor does not occur promptly. Question 73. What are the contraindications to labor induction or augmentation? The list is almost the same as the list of contraindications to vaginal delivery. Placenta or vasa previa umbilical cord prolapse, prior classical vertical cesarean section, transverse fetal lie, active genital herpes, cephalopelvic disproportion, and cervical cancer. Question 74. Define abortion. Abortion is defined as the termination, either intentional or not, of a pregnancy at less than 20 weeks of gestation or when the fetus weighs less than 500 grams. Miscarriage describes a spontaneous abortion. Question 75. What are the different terms for spontaneous abortion? Threatened abortion is uterine bleeding without cervical dilation and no expulsion of tissue. Treat with pelvic rest. Inevitable abortion is uterine bleeding with cervical dilation and crampy abdominal pain and no tissue expulsion. Incomplete abortion is passage of some products of conception through the cervix. Complete abortion is expulsion of all products of conception from the uterus. Treat with serial testing of HCG levels to make sure that it goes down to zero. Missed abortion is fetal death with no expulsion of tissue, in some cases not for several weeks. Treat with mesoprostol or dilation and curatage or consider induction termination if the pregnancy is a more advanced gestation. All of the above terms imply less than 20 weeks of gestation. Treat all abortions with IV fluids and blood transfusions if necessary, and consider dilation and curatage once the fetus is confirmed as dead or expelled. Give the mother Rogam if she has a, an RH negative blood type. Question 76. Define induced and recurrent abortions. What do recurrent abortions suggest? 
Induced or therapeutic abortion is an elective termination of pregnancy at less than 20 weeks of gestation. Recurrent abortion is defined as two or three successive unplanned abortions. History and physical exam may suggest the cause. Infection, including listeria, mycoplasma, or toxoplasma species, as well as syphilis. An inherited thrombophilia, including factor V Leiden, gene 20210A gene mutation, antithrombin deficiency, deficiency of protein C or protein S, environmental factors, including alcohol, tobacco, or drugs, diabetes, hypothyroidism, systemic lupus erythematosus, especially with positive antiphospholipid or lupus anticoagulant antibodies, sometimes an isolated syndrome without coexisting lupus, cervical insufficiency, Watch for a history of cervical procedure, such as LEAP or cold knife cone procedure, or exposure to diethylstilbestrol, DES, in the patient's mother during pregnancy, and or a patient with recurrent, painless, second trimester abortions. Treat future pregnancies with intramuscular or vaginal progesterone and cervical cerclage. Congenital female tract abnormalities. If possible, correct this to restore fertility. Fibroids, which can be removed. Chromosomal abnormalities, such as maternal or paternal translocations. Question 77. True or false? HCG roughly doubles every two days in the first trimester. True. An HCG level that stays the same or increases only slowly with serial testing indicates a fetus in trouble for example, threatened abortion or ectopic pregnancy, or can be a fetal demise. A rapidly increasing HCG level or one that does not decrease after delivery may indicate hydatiform mole or choriocarcinoma. Question 78. When can ultrasound detect an intrauterine gestational sac? Why do you need to know this information? At roughly five weeks after the last menstrual cycle, or when the HCG is greater than 2,000, evidence of intrauterine pregnancy can be detected by transvaginal sonography. A definite fetus and fetal heartbeat can be detected by transvaginal ultrasound at five to six weeks of gestation. Use this information when trying to determine the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. For example, if the patient's last menstrual period was four weeks ago and a pregnancy test is positive, you cannot rule out an ectopic pregnancy with ultrasound. If, however, the patient's last menstrual period was 10 weeks ago with a positive pregnancy test and an ultrasound of the uterus does not show a gestational sac, be suspicious of an ectopic pregnancy. Question 79. What are the risk factors for developing an ectopic pregnancy? The major risk factor for ectopic pregnancy is a previous history of pelvic inflammatory disease, or PID which has a tenfold increase in ectopic pregnancy rate. Other risk factors include a previous ectopic pregnancy, history of tubal sterilization or tuboplasty, pregnancy that occurs with an intrauterine device in place, and a history of DES exposure, which can cause tubal abnormalities in women who are exposed in utero. Question 80. What are the classic signs and symptoms of a ruptured ectopic pregnancy? A recent history of amenorrhea with current vaginal bleeding and abdominal pain. 
Patients also have a positive HCG pregnancy test. If you palpate an adnexal mass, it may be an ectopic pregnancy or a corpus luteum cyst. Question 81. What should you do if you suspect an ectopic pregnancy? Order an ultrasound to look for a gestational sac or fetus. When the diagnosis is in doubt and the patient is doing poorly, for example, hypovolemia, shock, severe abdominal pain, rebound tenderness, do a laparoscopy for definitive diagnosis and treatment, if necessary. Coldocentesis is rarely done in a stable patient to check for blood in the pouch of Douglas with a ruptured ectopic pregnancy because it has a high, a high false negative rate. Question 82. How is symptomatic ectopic pregnancy managed? With surgery. A tubal pregnancy, if stable and less than 3 centimeters in diameter, can be treated with salpingostomy and removal of the products of conception. The tube is left open to heal on its own. This strategy retains normal tubal function and fertility. If the patient is unstable or the ectopic pregnancy has ruptured or is greater than 3 centimeters in diameter, a salpingectomy is required. In RH negative patients, give Rogam after treatment. Methotrexate, which causes fetal demise, is an alternative treatment for small, less than 3 centimeter, unruptured tubal pregnancies. Question 83. What does a basic fetal heart monitoring strip contain? The fetal heart rate tracing and the uterine contraction pattern over time. Question 84. In fetal heart monitoring, what is the difference between early decelerations late decelerations, and variable decelerations. In early decelerations, the peaks match up, the nadir of fetal heart rate deceleration and the peak of uterine contraction. This pattern signifies head compression, probably a vagal response, and is normal. Variable decelerations are so-called because fetal heart rate deceleration varies in relation to uterine contractions. This is the most commonly encountered type of deceleration pattern and signifies cord compression. If it is seen, place the mother in the lateral decubitus position, administer oxygen by face mask, stop any oxytocin infusion, and consider intravenous fluid bolus to increase intravascular volume. If the fetal bradycardia is severe, less than 80 to 90 beats per minute, or if it fails to resolve, Check the fetal oxygen saturation or scalp pH. Late decelerations occur when the fetal heart rate deceleration comes after uterine contraction. This pattern signifies uteroplacental insufficiency and is the most worrisome. If it is seen, first place the mother in the lateral decubitus position, then give oxygen by face mask and stop oxytocin if applicable. Next, give a tocolytic a beta-2 agonist such as rutadrin or magnesium sulfate if the mother is not in active labor and, and also give intravenous fluids if the mother is hypotensive. If the late decelerations persist, measure the fetal oxygen saturation or scalp pH. Consider preparing for operative delivery. Question 85. What other patterns of fetal distress may be seen on a fetal heart tracing? What is a normal fetal heart rate? Loss of short-term beat-to-beat variability or loss of long-term variability or normal baseline changes in heart rate over one minute, which can signify fetal acidemia. 
prolonged fetal tachycardia over 160 beats per minute can be an early sign of infection, such as chorioamnionitis. The normal fetal heart rate is 120 to 160 beats per minute. Question 86. What if the question gives you a value for fetal oxygen saturation or scalp pH? Any fetal scalp pH less than 7.2 or abnormally decreased oxygen saturation is an indication for immediate cesarean delivery. If the pH is greater than 7.2 or oxygenation is normal, you can generally continue to observe the mother and fetus. Question 87. What should you do if shoulder dystocia or impaction occurs during vaginal delivery? The first step is to try the McRoberts maneuver. Have the mother sharply flex her thighs against her abdomen, which may free the impacted shoulder. Other maneuvers include applying suprapubic pressure, the wood screw maneuver, which rotates the fetus so the anterior shoulder emerges from behind the maternal symphysis, delivery of the posterior arm, and fracture of the clavicle, which is risky. If these maneuvers fail, options are limited. A cesarean section is usually the procedure of choice after pushing the infant's head back into the birth canal. Question 88. What causes third trimester bleeding? Placenta previa, which causes painless bleeding. Abruptio placentae, or placental abruption, which causes painful bleeding. Uterine rupture. Fetal bleeding. Cervical or vaginal infections, such as herpes simplex virus, gonorrhea, chlamydia, or candida infection. Cervical or vaginal trauma, usually from sexual intercourse. Bleeding disorders, which are rare before delivery and more common after delivery. Cervical cancer, which may occur in pregnant patients. And a bloody show. Question 89. True or false? The initial workup of third trimester bleeding, like most conditions, requires a history and thorough physical exam, including a pelvic exam. False. You should do a history and partial physical exam, but always do an ultrasound before you do a pelvic exam. Question 90. Why should you do an ultrasound before you do a pelvic exam for third trimester bleeding? In case placenta previa is present. Disturbing the placenta may make the bleeding worse and turn a worrisome case into an emergency. Question 91. Define placenta previa. How does it present? How is it diagnosed and treated? True placenta previa occurs when the placenta implants in an area where it covers the cervical opening, or os. Predisposing factors include multiparity, increasing maternal age, multiple gestation, and a history of prior placenta previa. Because of this condition, you always do an ultrasound before a pelvic exam for third trimester bleeding. The bleeding is painless and may be profuse. Ultrasound is 95 to 100% accurate in diagnosis. Mandatory cesarean section is required for delivery, but patients may be admitted to the hospital for bed and pelvic rest and tocolysis if they are preterm and stable and if the bleeding has stopped. Question 92. Define placental abruption. How does it present? How is it treated? Placental abruption is premature detachment of a normally situated placenta. Predisposing factors include hypertension, with or without preeclampsia, trauma, polyhydramnios with rapid decompression after membrane rupture, cocaine or tobacco use, 
and preterm premature rupture of membranes. Patients can have this condition without visible vaginal bleeding. The blood may be contained behind the placenta. Usual symptoms include pain, uterine tenderness, increased uterine tone with a hyperactive contraction pattern, and fetal distress. Placental abruptions may also cause disseminated intravascular coagulation if fetal products enter the maternal circulation. Ultrasound detects only a small percentage of cases. Treat with intravenous fluids and blood if needed, and rapid delivery. Vaginal delivery is preferred. Question 93. What factors predispose to uterine rupture? How does it present? How is it treated? Predisposing factors include previous uterine surgery, especially prior cesarean section with vertical incision, trauma, oxytocin, grand multiparity, excessive uterine distension, for example, from multiple gestation or polyhydramnios, abnormal fetal lie, cephalopelvic disproportion, and shoulder dystocia. Uterine rupture is very painful, has a sudden and dramatic onset, and is often is accompanied by maternal hypotension or shock. Other classic signs are the ability to feel fetal body parts on abdominal exam and a change in the abdominal contour. Maternal distress usually is more pronounced than fetal distress, unlike placental abruption, in which fetal distress is greater. Treat with immediate laparotomy and delivery. Hysterectomy is usually required after delivery. Question 94. What causes fetal bleeding to present as third trimester vaginal bleeding? Visible fetal bleeding usually is due to vasa previa or velamentous insertion of the cord, which occurs when umbilical vessels present in advance of the fetal head, usually traversing the membranes and crossing the cervical os. The biggest predisposing risk factor is multiple gestation. The higher the number of fetuses, the higher the risk. Bleeding is painless and the mother is completely stable, whereas the fetus shows worsening distress, tachycardia initially, then bradycardia as the fetus decompensates. An apt test performed on vaginal blood is positive for fetal blood. This test differentiates fetal from maternal blood. Treat with immediate cesarean section. Question 95. Explain the term bloody show. How is it diagnosed? With cervical effacement, a blood-tinged mucus plug may be released from the cervical canal and heralds the onset of labor. This normal occurrence is a diagnosis of exclusion in the evaluation of third trimester bleeding. Question 96. Describe the initial management of third trimester bleeding. For all cases of third trimester bleeding, start IV fluids, give blood if needed, start the patient on oxygen, and start fetal and maternal monitoring. Then order a CBC, coagulation profiles, ultrasound, and drug screen as cocaine causes placental abruption. Give Rogam if the mother is Rh negative. A Kleihauer-Betke test can quantify fetal blood in the maternal circulation and can be used to calculate the dose of Rogam. Question 97. Define preterm labor. How is it treated? Preterm labor is defined as labor between 20 and 37 weeks of gestation. Put the mother in the lateral decubitus position, order bed and pelvic rest, and give oral or IV fluids and oxygen. In some cases, these maneuvers stop the contractions. If they fail, you can give a tocolytic, like a beta agonist or magnesium sulfate, 
if there are no contraindications, which include heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, hemorrhage, ruptured membranes, or cervical dilation more than four centimeters. Question 98. What are tocolytics? When is it not appropriate to give them? Tocolytics stop uterine contractions. Common examples are beta-2 agonists, including terbutaline and ritadrin, and magnesium sulfate. Do not give tocolytics to the mother in the presence of preeclampsia, severe hemorrhage, chorioamnionitis, IUGR, fetal demise, or fetal anomalies incompatible with survival. Question 99. What is fetal fibronectin? When is a test for this substance useful? Is the test more helpful when positive or negative? Fetal fibronectin, an extracellular matrix protein that helps attach the amniotic membranes to the uterine lining, can be detected in the vaginal secretions of some women presenting with signs and symptoms of preterm labor. The test is most helpful when negative between 22 and 34 weeks of gestation because it indicates a very low likelihood of delivery in the next two weeks. Thus, a more conservative observational approach can be used. When fetal fibronectin is positive in this setting, the woman remains at a higher risk for delivery in the next two weeks, and a more aggressive approach to tocolysis and fetal lung maturity hastening is typically employed. In other words, fetal fibronectin has a high negative predictive value. Question 100. When should fetal lung maturity be evaluated? Evaluation of fetal lung maturity is indicated before elective deliveries that are or may be less than 39 weeks gestation. Testing is not necessary for well-documented pregnancies that are 39 or more weeks gestation. Pregnancies that are less than 32 weeks gestation because fetal lung maturity is unlikely or when delaying delivery because of fetal lung immaturity will place the mother or fetus at significant risk. Question 101. What tests can be used to assess fetal lung maturity? The lamellar body count, elecithin sphingomyelin ratio, phosphatidylglycerol, surfactant to albumin ratio, optical density at 650 nanometers, and the foam stability index. For the purposes of the USMLE, it is not necessary to know the details of these tests. No test performs better than another. All of these tests are better at predicting the absence rather than the presence of respiratory distress. Question 102. What is the role of steroids in preterm labor? Often, steroids are given with tocolytics at 24 to 34 weeks of gestation to hasten fetal lung maturity and thus decrease the risk of respiratory distress syndrome in the neonatal period. Question 103. Define quickening. When does it occur? Quickening is a term used to describe when the mother first detects fetal movements, usually at 18 to 20 weeks gestation in a primigravida and 16 to 18 weeks of gestation in a multigravida. Question 104. Give the order of fetal positions during normal labor and delivery. 1. Descent. 2. Flexion. 3. Internal rotation. 4. Extension. 5. External rotation. 6. Expulsion. Question 105. What subtype of maternal antibody can cross the placenta? IgG is a monomer and therefore is the only type of maternal antibody that crosses the placenta. 
IgM antibodies are pentamers and are too large to cross the placenta. This may be an important diagnostic point. An elevated neonatal IgM concentration is never normal, whereas an elevated neonatal IgG often represents maternal antibodies. Question 106. Explain RH incompatibility. In what situations does it occur? RH blood type incompatibility is of concern because it can lead to hemolytic disease of the newborn. RH incompatibility occurs when the mother is RH negative and her infant is RH positive. The boards assume an understanding of inheritance of the RH factor. If both the mother and the father are RH negative, there is nothing to worry about because their infant will be RH negative. If the father is RH positive, the infant has a 50-50 chance of being RH positive. Question 107. How do you detect and manage potential hemolytic disease of the newborn? If indicated by maternal and potential fetal blood type, check maternal titers of RH antibody every month, starting in the seventh month of gestation. Give Rogam automatically at 28 weeks and within 72 hours after delivery, as well as after any procedures that may cause transplacental hemorrhage. Question 108. True or false? The first child is usually the most severely affected by RH incompatibility. False. Previous maternal sensitization is required for disease to occur. In other words, if a nulliparous RH-negative mother has never received blood products, her first RH-positive infant will not be affected by hemolytic disease, except in the rare case of sensitization during the first pregnancy from undetected fetomaternal bleeding, which commonly occurs later in the pregnancy and in most instances can be prevented by Rogam administration at 28 weeks. The second RH-positive infant, however, will be affected unless you, the astute board taker, administer Rogam at 28 weeks and within 72 hours after delivery during the first pregnancy. Any history of blood transfusion, abortion, ectopic pregnancy, stillbirth, or delivery can cause sensitization. Question 109. How much Rogam should you give if the maternal RH antibody titer is extremely high? In this setting, Rogam is worthless because sensitization has already occurred. Rogam administration is a good example of primary prevention. Close fetal monitoring for hemolytic disease is required. Question 110. How do you recognize, monitor, and treat hemolytic disease of the newborn? Hemolytic disease of the newborn in its most severe form causes fetal hydrops, which is edema, ascites, and pleural and or pericardial effusions and results in death. Amniotic fluid, sectophotometry, and ultrasound can help gauge the severity of fetal hemolysis. Treatment of hemolytic disease involves 1. Delivery if the fetus is mature. Check lung maturity with the lecithin to sphingomyelin ratio. 2. Intrauterine transfusion. And 3. Phenobarbital, which helps the fetal liver break down bilirubin by inducing enzymes. Question 111. True or false? ABO blood group incompatibility can cause hemolytic disease of the newborn. True. ABO blood group incompatibility can cause hemolytic disease of the newborn when the mother is type O and the infant is type A, B, or AB. This condition does not require previous sensitization because IgG antibodies 
which can cross the placenta, occur naturally in mothers with type O, but not in mothers with other blood types. The hemolytic disease is usually less severe than with RH incompatibility, but treatment is the same. In rare instances, other minor blood antigens may also cause a reaction. Question 112. When should Rogam be given? To reiterate, give Rogam only when the mother is RH negative and the father is RH positive or his blood type is unknown. During routine prenatal care, check for RH antibodies at the first visit. If the test is positive, do not give Rogam. You are too late. Otherwise, give Rogam routinely at 28 weeks and immediately after delivery. Also give Rogam after an abortion, stillbirth, ectopic pregnancy, amniocentesis, chorionic villus sampling, and any other invasive procedure that may cause transplacental bleeding during pregnancy. Question 113. Define premature rupture of membranes, PROM. How is it diagnosed? PROM is rupture of the amniotic sac before the onset of labor. Diagnosis of rupture of membranes, whether premature or not, is based on history, sterile speculum exam, and or positive nitrazine test. The sterile speculum exam shows pooling of amniotic fluid and a furting pattern when the fluid is placed on a microscopic slide and allowed to dry. Nitrazine paper turns blue, indicating basicness in the presence of amniotic fluid. Ultrasound should be done in cases of PROM to assess amniotic fluid volume, as well as gestational age and any anomalies that may be present. Question 114. What usually follows membrane rupture? What should you do if it does not occur? Spontaneous labor usually follows membrane rupture. For this reason, an amniotomy may be done in an attempt to induce labor if membranes do not rupture spontaneously. If labor does not occur within 16 hours of membrane rupture and the mother is term and if the cervix is favorable, labor should be induced. Labor is induced because the main risk of PROM is infection, which may occur in the mother in the form of chorioamnionitis and or the infant as neonatal sepsis, pneumonia, or meningitis. The usual culprits are GBS, E. coli, or listeria. Question 115. Define preterm premature rupture of membranes, or PPROM. How is it managed? PPROM is defined as premature rupture of membranes before 37 weeks of gestation. The risk of infection increases with the duration of ruptured membranes. Do a culture and gram stain of the amniotic fluid. If it is negative, treatment simply involves pelvic rest with frequent follow-up. If the culture is positive for GBS, treat the mother with penicillin G or ampicillin, even if she is asymptomatic. Question 116. How does chorioamnionitis present, and how is it treated? Patients with chorioamnionitis present with fever and a tender, irritable uterus, usually near and after delivery. Antepartum chorioamnionitis may occur in patients with PROM. Do a culture and gram stain of the cervix and amniotic fluid and treat with antibiotics such as ampicillin plus gentamicin while awaiting culture results. Question 117. Define postpartum hemorrhage. What are the common causes? Postpartum hemorrhage is defined as a blood loss greater than 500 milliliters during vaginal delivery or greater than 1 liter during cesarean section. The most common cause is uterine atony. 
75 to 80% of cases. Other causes include lacerations, retained placental tissue, coagulation disorders, low placental implantation, and uterine inversion. Retained placental tissue results from placenta accreta, penetration of the placenta through the endometrium into the myometrium. Increta, deeper penetration of the placenta into the myometrium, or percreta, penetration of the placenta through the myometrium to the uterine serosa. In all three conditions, the placenta grows more deeply into the uterine wall than it should. The major risk factor for this condition is previous uterine surgery or cesarean section, and the usual treatment is hysterectomy. Question 118. What causes uterine atony? How is it treated? Uterine atony is caused by overdistension of the uterus due to multiple gestation, polyhydramnios, or macrosomia, and is also caused by prolonged labor, oxytocin usage, gram multiparity, chorioamnionitis, and precipitous labor. Treat with a dilute oxytocin infusion and use bimanual compression to massage the uterus while the oxytocin infusion is running. If this approach fails, use ergonavine, which is, is contraindicated with maternal hypertension. You can also use prostaglandin F2-alpha or mesoprostol. If these strategies also fail, the patient may need a hysterectomy. Ligation of the uterine vessels can be attempted if the patient wants to retain fertility. Question 119. What is the treatment for retained products of conception? With retained products of conception, which is probably the most common cause of delayed postpartum hemorrhage, remove the placenta manually to stop the bleeding. Next, try curatage in the operating room under anesthesia. If placenta accreta, increta, or percreta is present, hysterectomy is usually necessary to stop the bleeding. Question 120. What causes uterine inversion? How is it treated? When the uterus inverts, it usually can be seen outside the vagina. It is usually iatrogenic, a result of pulling too hard on the cord. If it occurs, put the uterus back in place manually. You may need to use anesthesia because of pain. Give IV fluids and oxytocin. Question 121. Define postpartum fever. What are the common causes? Postpartum fever is defined as a temperature greater than 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, 38 Celsius, for at least two consecutive days and is classically due to endometritis. However, do not forget easy causes of postpartum fever, such as urinary tract infection or pneumonia. Pulmonary problems are especially common after cesarean section. Other causes include pelvic abscess and pelvic thrombophlebitis. Question 122. What should you do if a patient has postpartum fever? Look for clues in the history and physical exam. For example, in a patient with a history of PROM and a tender uterus on exam, endometritis is almost certainly the cause of the fever. Next, get cultures of the endometrium, vagina, blood, and urine. Start empiric antibiotics if indicated. Clindamycin plus gentamicin is a good choice. Add big gun antibiotics if the patient is crashing. Question 123. What should you do if postpartum fever does not improve with antibiotics? If a postpartum fever does not resolve with broad-spectrum antibiotics, there are two main possibilities, progression to pelvic abscess or pelvic thrombophlebitis. Computed tomography scan will show a pelvic abscess, which needs to be drained, 
and sometimes demonstrates thrombophlebitis. Pelvic thrombophlebitis presents with persistent spiking fevers, lack of response to antibiotics, and no abscess on CT. Give heparin or low molecular weight heparin for a cure and diagnosis in retrospect. Question 124. What should you consider if a postpartum patient goes into shock without evident bleeding? 1. Amniotic fluid embolism. 2. Uterine inversion. 3. Concealed hemorrhage, such as uterine rupture with bleeding into the peritoneal cavity. Question 125. What normal lab changes of pregnancy may be encountered on step 2? The erythrocyte sedimentation test becomes markedly elevated. Hence, this test is essentially worthless in pregnancy. Total thyroxin, T4, and thyroid binding globulin increase, but free T4 remains normal. Hemoglobin increases, but plasma volume increases even more. Thus, the net result is a decrease in hemoglobin and hematocrit. BUN and creatinine decrease because of an increase in glomerular filtration rate. BUN and creatinine levels at the high end of normal indicate renal disease in pregnancy. Alkaline phosphatase increases markedly. Mild proteinuria and glycosuria are normal in pregnancy. Electrolytes and liver function tests remain normal. Question 126. What cardiovascular and pulmonary changes occur in a normal pregnancy? Normal cardiovascular changes include blood pressure decreases slightly, heart rate increases by 10 to 20 beats per minute, stroke volume increases, and cardiac output increases by up to 50%. Normal pulmonary changes, minute ventilation increases because of increased tidal volume, but respiratory rate remains the same or increases only slightly. Residual volume and carbon dioxide decrease. Collectively, these changes cause the physiologic hyperventilation respiratory alkalosis of pregnancy. Question 127. What is the average weight gain during pregnancy? What commonly causes weight gain to be more or less? The average weight gain in pregnancy is roughly 28 pounds, or 12.5 kilograms. But goal weight should be less for overweight or obese women. A larger weight gain may mean maternal diabetes. A smaller weight gain may mean hyperemesis gravidarum or psychiatric or major systemic diseases. Question 128. Define hyperemesis gravidarum. How do you recognize and treat it? Hyperemesis gravidarum is intractable nausea and vomiting leading to dehydration and possible electrolyte disturbances. It presents in the first trimester, usually in younger patients with their first pregnancy and underlying social stressors or psychiatric problems. Treat with supportive care as well as small, frequent meals and antiemetic medications such as pyridoxine, doxylamine, diphenhydramine, meclizine, dimenhydrinate, prochlorperazine, metoclopramide, or ondansetron. Patients may need IV fluids and correction of electrolyte abnormalities. Question 129. Define cholestasis of pregnancy. How is it treated? Cholestasis of pregnancy presents with itching, which is often severe, and or abnormal liver function tests, usually in the second and third trimesters. In rare cases, jaundice may coexist. It is dangerous because of the associated risk of fetal demise. Thus, heightened fetal surveillance and induction of labor at 37 weeks is typically recommended. 
the only known definitive treatment is delivery, but ursodeoxycholic acid or cholesteramine may help with symptoms. Question 130. What is acute fatty liver of pregnancy? How is it treated? Acute fatty liver of pregnancy is a more serious disorder than cholestasis. It presents in the third trimester or after delivery and usually progresses to hepatic coma. Treat with IV fluids, glucose, and fresh frozen plasma to correct coagulopathies. Vitamin K does not work because the liver is in temporary failure. If the patient survives with su supportive care, liver dysfunction usually resolves on its own with time. Question 131. True or false? In terms of surgery, the usual rule of thumb is to treat the disease in a pregnant woman the same as you would treat it in a non-pregnant woman. It depends. It definitely is true in the case of an acute surgical abdomen. Pregnant women can develop appendicitis, which may present with right upper quadrant pain due to displacement of the appendix by the pregnant uterus. Just as in non-pregnant patients, a laparotomy or laparoscopy is perfectly appropriate when the diagnosis is unsure and the patient has peritoneal signs. For semi-urgent conditions, such as ovarian neoplasm, it is best to wait until the second trimester to perform surgery when the pregnancy is most stable. Purely elective cases are avoided during pregnancy. Question 132. How do you manage fetal malpresentation? External cephalic version can be used to rotate the fetus from the breech to the cephalic position. Occiput posterior, OP, presentations can cause protraction of the second stage of labor. Most fetuses eventually rotate to occiput anterior, OA, presentations on their own, or can be delivered OP, but providers may also attempt internal manual rotation. If this fails, the decision must be made whether to attempt vaginal delivery or do a cesarean section. Although under specific guidelines, some frank and complete breaches may be delivered vaginally, it is acceptable to do a cesarean section for any breach presentation. With shoulder presentation and incomplete footling breach, Cesarean section is mandatory. For face and brow presentations, watchful waiting is best because most cases convert to vertex presentations. If they do not convert, do a cesarean section. Question 133. What is the poor man's way to distinguish between monozygotic and dizygotic twins? If the sex or blood type is different, the twins are dizygotic, that is, fraternal. If the placentas are, are monochorionic, the twins are monozygotic, that is, identical. These three simple points differentiate monozygotic from dizygotic twins in 80% of cases. In the remaining 20%, human leukocyte antigen typing studies are required to determine the type of twins. Question 134. What are the maternal and fetal complications of multiple gestations? Maternal complications include anemia, hypertension, premature labor, postpartum uterine atony, postpartum hemorrhage, and preeclampsia. Fetal complications include polyhydramnios, malpresentation, placenta previa, abruptio placentae, velamentous cord insertion or vasa previa, premature rupture of the membranes, prematurity, umbilical cord prolapse, IUGR, congenital anomalies, and increased perinatal morbidity and mortality. The higher the number of fetuses, the higher the risk of most of the condition mentioned for both mother and offspring.
Question 135. How are multiple gestations delivered? With vertex-vertex presentation of twins, both infants are head first, you can try vaginal delivery for both infants. But with any other twin presentation combination or more than two infants, perform cesarean section. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.